I should be a pro at this, but I'm not. I'm so nervous. I will tell you, though, if I go long, you know where I get it from. <laughs> I'm going to tell you um, quickly, some of you know, can you hear me? Some of you know this, but um, we just, we kind of wanted to share our testimonies, too, briefly so that everybody would know a little bit about when we came to know the Lord. Um, I was 16, almost 17, and growing up in a Christian home, my mom was a believer, my dad was not, but she took us to church, and um, I knew some of the Lord, I, I wanted to serve him, uh, I believed that he died for my sins, um, but I didn't have a changed life, and I didn't really know that you needed to have that, um, but I had gone on a missions trip when I was 16 to Israel, and we were doing service projects. And there were all these students around me, so I went with a bunch of students, and they loved Christ. I mean, they, they wanted him for him. They didn't just want to serve him. They didn't uh, just want to do good things. They loved him, and they sought him, and I did not do that. And I saw very clearly that that was nothing a part of my relationship with him. I wanted to just do service projects for him. And um, so I, at some point on that trip, it was right before I turned 17, um, I, I realized I didn't really know him. And so I repented and um, gave my life to him. And even I was thinking, Julia, when you were mentioning, that was similar how I felt that next, that night I was, oh, I'm different. I, something in me is different. And my appetite for the word just grew. I was in a liberal church and um, I just saw I don't see things going on here that the Word says, and there was not a lot of confidence put in the Word, so we would do a lot of things, but we couldn't point to why we were doing them. And I wanted answers. I wanted to know, if I've given my life to this God, and I, I want to serve Him with everything in me, I want to know why I'm doing these things. And so God was so gracious to just hem me in and keep pointing me to truth, and, um, because it wasn't really around me, and it was not well taught. So um, I continue still to this day to love truth. I wish I obeyed it more quickly. I was so thankful for the exhortation earlier to obey and that we can disobey and obey and let's call it what it is. So when I sin, I'm disobeying. And I, I mean, I tell that so clearly to my children and I need to keep telling it to myself and obey. So... Um, that's my quick testimony. Um, we are going to talk about this next characteristic, so hold on because it's rough. <laughs> um, the text says in Titus 2 that she is a woman who is to be self-controlled. And the reason I say she is a woman is because even though it's referring to the younger women, it's the older women that are teaching this, right? So they have to be self-controlled as well. Um, so the older women are likewise to be reverent in their behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and their children, to be self-controlled. And that's the first one. 
even though we've been, and we probably need to talk a lot more about loving our husbands and loving our children, we will deal with that in August, I mentioned. Not that that's the only time we're going to deal with it. Um, and I know it should flavor all that we're saying, but um, we didn't think we could cover all of that today. So we're going to skip over that um, and jump to verse 5 that says she's to be self-controlled. She is to be self-controlled. We're going to look at five characteristics about the idea of self-control that should shape our character so that we will, as, for, um, as the end of verse 5 says, not allow the Word of God to be reviled. This is why we do all these things and we seek all these things is so that God's Word would not be reviled. That's a good motivation. So the first characteristic we're going to look at is self-control begins in your mind. Self-control begins in your mind. That's the first thing we're going to learn about self-control. So self-control is defined, look in your Bible, the ESV says, it translates it as self-controlled. The NAS says she's to be sensible, and the King James calls it discreet. So self-controlled, sensible, or discreet are all three English words that the translators have used to describe a compound word, one word, in the Greek New Testament, and it's called sophron, and it comes from two separate words, so it's one word, but it comes from two separate words that mean to have a safe mind, to have a sober inner outlook. So get that, (laughs) a safe mind and a sober inner outlook outlook. So the focus of this word is on the mind. It's not actually on the body, right? So you think self-control and you think, oh, I'm going to teach my kids self-control, right? They sit with their hands. No, the, the, the focus of this word is on the mind rather than the body. Now, it does, it's also true that the body does follow the mind, but we're not going to get there yet. We're just going to talk about this is, this word that she's to be self-controlled, means to have a sound mind. It's a woman who is sober-minded, so she's not intoxicated by foolish thoughts. She is not drunk by foolish thoughts. She is sober-minded. She's cool-headed. She's full of discretion and discernment. How many of you guys pray for that? I pray for that all the time. Please, Lord, make me full of discretion, helping to understand, right? This sober judgment relates to her thinking first and foremost. So this whole word is about her outlook, but it's motivated by her inner thoughts. So what's going on in your mind? And most of that nobody else knows about, right? Nobody else knows. So this is very internal. One Bible teacher describes this self-controlled and sensible woman the following. She's in command of her mind She has control of the things she thinks about and does. She does not allow circumstances or the immorality or foolishness of others to distract her and gain her attention and interest. She not only does not become involved in things that are outright immoral or unspiritual, but she avoids things that are trivial, foolish, and unproductive. She knows her priorities, and she is devoted to them. So this self-controlled woman has a sober mind. This characteristic begins in your mind. 
this is the kind of woman I want to be. We were even talking about this at lunch. Stable, steadfast, unmoved by trivial or sinful things, rather devoted to the priorities I know God has put in front of me. I pray he would give us grace to live out these things. Um, She's to be self-controlled. That starts in her mind. The second characteristic is that self-control is God-wrought. Self-control is God-wrought. And that word means produced by. God produces self-control. And we're going to look at the text because this is so encouraging from the context of Titus 2. Um, Self-control is taught to all of the church, everyone who's redeemed through salvation. It's God himself who is teaching us and training us in self-control. We're going to see that. The older women and the younger women are not the only ones in the book of Titus that the Apostle Paul has exhorted to be self-controlled. Let's look at some of the other places. Look at Titus 1.5. Paul tells Titus to set the churches on the island of Crete in order, right? One of the first tasks on Titus' agenda is that he was supposed to appoint elders to lead in the churches. In verse 8, among the other characteristics, or other character qualities, the elders in the churches were called to be self-controlled as well, just like us. There were other noble qualities, but this one was so that, in verse 9, he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Right? The elders need to be cool-headed. They need to be focused. They need to be unswayed by others' foolishness, especially false teachers. That's who they were, because that was their task, was to teach the Word of God. They're supposed to instruct the Christians in sound doctrine and rebuke those who come against the Word. Even Heidi was mentioning that that's part of teaching what is good, not just saying these good things, but also pointing out if someone is thinking or teaching something that's false. The elders were supposed to be self-controlled to do that, and we want that in our church, don't we? We want men that are going to... not be off the handle, crazy, one thing here, one thing there. You wouldn't respect those kind of people. You wouldn't think, that's somebody I want leading me. The older men in chapter 2, verse 2, are also called to be self-controlled, as well as sober-minded and dignified and sound in faith and in love and in steadfastness. In two six, the younger men are urged, first and foremost, to be self-controlled, So the older women are to train the younger women to be self-controlled. The older men are to be self-controlled. The younger men are supposed to be self-controlled, as well as the leaders of the church body. Each person is called to live a sensible life marked by self-control. And just in case you thought somebody else might be left out, the Apostle Paul in 2.12 says, All those whom God has brought to salvation, look at the text because it's beautiful, all those that God has brought to salvation are being trained Who are they being trained by? God himself to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. Our very salvation implies self-control, implies self-controlled lives. That is encouraging. God is not going to leave us to ourselves. In fact, this self-controlled, redeemed Christian woman, this is what she looks like. She gets her self-control from an inner strength that comes from the Holy Spirit. God himself is giving her this when she comes to him. I found this quote 
um, I will be calm, I will be mistress of myself. Jane Austen wrote that in Sense and Sensibility. I will be calm, I will be mistress of myself. Can you see her saying something like that? Those of you that know Jane Austen, I'm going to be the mistress of myself. We don't use that term now to mean, you know, the master, but the mistress used to be, that, you know, the, not the master of the house, but in the female sense, the master of the house. And here she's saying, I'm going to be master or mistress of myself. Can you mistress yourself? Can you control yourself? Jerry Bridges helpfully describes a genuine mistress of herself in this way. She exercises inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enable her, enables her to do, think, and say the things that are pleasing to God. Listen to that again. She exercises inner strength under the direction of sound judgment that enables her to do and think and say the things that are pleasing to God. This inner strength is will, it's power, it's discipline, it's control under the direction of sound judgment. Where do we get sound judgment? It's a worldview. Excuse me, it's your thoughts informed by truth. That's where sound judgment comes from. What truth? Where are you going to look to guide your thoughts? As a Christian, we are to look to the Word of God, His truth, His Bible alone, to know what truth is. In doing and thinking and saying things that are pleasing to God, that's Christ-like living. That is Christian living. That's holy living. That's what His followers are to live like. John MacArthur explains where this inner strength comes from. By the enablement of the power and the power of the Holy Spirit in her, her redeemed inner person she brings the unredeemed flesh under control. So by the enablement and power of the Holy Spirit in her, as a redeemed person, she has the Holy Spirit in her, she brings her unredeemed flesh under control. You are a redeemed Christian if you know the Lord. You have the gift of the enablement and the power of the Holy Spirit to bring your unredeemed flesh, what we struggle with, under control. You have the opportunity to bring yourself under control and to be mistress of yourself indeed. Through the Holy Spirit, that's one of his fruits, right? Those of us that belong to him, that is one of his fruits. The third characteristic of self-control is that self-control thinks truth. There's a positive aspect to self-control where we see Positively, this woman controls herself and fixes her mind on sober thoughts. She's not led by feelings or outside circumstances, but rather she's led by truth. She knows what it is to be excellent and good and true in the Lord's sight, and she wants to do things according to his will. So it thinks truth. For example, in Philippians 4, 8, she obeys Philippians 4.8, which says, and you'll know this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, and if there's any excellence, if there's anything that's worthy of praise, think about these things. And Colossians 3.1, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, not the things that are on the earth. And 1 Peter 3.13, Therefore, preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, 
Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This woman proactively exercises her mind to think truth. We've heard that, I think, a number of times earlier this morning. But there is an active step that you take again and again to prepare your mind for truth. What are you thinking about all day long? You are thinking things all day long. Are you thinking things that are worthy of praise? Are you actually setting your mind on Christ and where he's seated at the right hand of God? Are you prepared and ready for actions? This means working hard, excitable. You know, you're, you're taking extra steps. You're not just going about and doing your normal thing. Are you ready for action? There's a battle and a struggle ahead. Are you focused with your right thinking? How are you doing that? By thinking about the word. You think about it all day long. This woman who's self-controlled thinks about the word all day long. And I know I say that and we say, oh yeah, 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 I listen to Christian music. I listen to sermons. I have something in the background. But are you intentional with it? And I know this is hard work. I'm not saying it's easy. And, but are you intentional with it? thinking about what you're listening to, thinking about what is God saying here? How can I apply this? How can I teach this to someone else? That will help you actually apply it. When you have to speak it to somebody else, it was like Heidi was talking about teaching your kids or teaching a neighbor or teaching a coworker. If you have to speak back something that you've learned, you better make sure you're doing it right <laughs> or else they're going to think that you're a liar. So this woman, she thinks about the word all day long. Make an effort when you get up in the morning to set your mind on things above. Julie, I know you've mentioned that. As soon as you get up in the morning, what are you thinking about? I mean, as soon as you get up, I put on my alarm clock, consider the cross. That's the first thing I want to think about when I get up. Think about God's character. Think about the gospel. Think about the grace you've been redeemed by. Think what you were are those the first, not what's my to-do list, not, ooh, I'm already late, not, ooh, I've got this to do, not, I wish I didn't have to get this morning. What is the first, and this is practical. When your alarm goes off, what are you thinking about? You're, you are thinking about something. <laughs> so make it word-centered all day and all night. So then what about lunchtime? You've gone maybe for a little while. Don't you think that sometimes happens? Like the whole day goes by and you say, what did I do all day? What did I think all day? You were thinking things. You were. And so make efforts. Maybe they start small, like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. (laughs) Then you expand those times. When you're at lunch, think about not just what's the rest of the day look like or you're tired, but Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Lofty thoughts. Christ is seated on your behalf near the Father, proclaiming his righteousness in your stead. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And Christ is up there standing in our place saying, I paid for them. I paid for their sin. What about when you're overwhelmed or discouraged? Speak to yourself. Talk to yourself. Tell yourself, my hope is not in me. It's not in this world. It's not in my work. It's not in my circumstances. It's not in those people around me. My hope is in 
the grace that has been brought to me and will be totally revealed when Christ comes. I think it's helpful to sing things to yourself. Sing hymns to yourself. Remind yourself of what's true, high, lofty things. You're thinking the word all day and all night. Psalm 1, you can turn there, paints a beautiful picture of this woman who thinks the word all day long and all night. And you'll, I'm sure, know this when I start reading it. It's very, she's a very attractive woman, even though it's written, blessed is the man, but we're going to say it's woman too. And not only is she attractive, but I think she's attractive because she's stable. Verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So this person who's blessed is meditating day and night, right, all day long and all night long on the law of the Lord, on God's law. Listen to the effects in verse 3. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water. It yields fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Do you ever feel like you've withered? Do you feel like you're fruitful? You're, you're putting forth fruit at the right time every time? You're planted by streams of water, and you're refreshed. You're like that wellspring that just keeps bubbling up. Do you do you feel like that? Sometimes I don't. Most of the time I don't. And I, I see the, the reason here, because the law is not what I'm meditating on day and night. Because if it was, I would have the results of verse 3, being like a tree that's planted by the streams of water, fruitful, not dried up and withered, prosperous in all that she does, in all that I do. I would be faithful, stable, healthy, growing, full of life, and blessed. So that's a great motivation for us to think the word all day long. The next characteristic, the fourth characteristic of self-control, is that self-control flees foolish thoughts. So in addition to the positive aspect of thinking the word and thinking right thoughts, thinking the word all day long. You're fleeing on the other side foolish thoughts. This woman is exercising discipline to avoid sinful, harmful, unworthy thoughts, thoughts that are outright evil, thoughts that are false, thoughts that are foolish, thoughts that are a waste of her time. She is refusing to entertain those I know that's not easy. I know that we get into patterns of thinking and we keep doing it and doing it and doing it. So I know it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but the, self, the self-controlled woman realizes truth, right? This is what God's word says. This is what I need to guard my mind with and help my mind think on. I'm also going to have to put off things that I had been thinking about or that keep creeping into my thinking. These are not my priorities. These are not things that are true. These are not things that are, I'm going to concern myself with. I'm not going to take from the intoxicating drink of the world and think its thoughts and let those guide me and guard me. Instead, I'm going to think what's true. So she is not sidetracked. Do you ever feel sidetracked? <laughs> 
I feel sidetracked regularly. But the self-controlled woman is not sidetracked with evil, foolish, or petty things. If we can take a look at Ephesians 4, 17, I know we've mentioned it. So if you'll go there. Ephesians 4, 17. Paul writes, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Listen to the, uh, the learning and mind focus here. This is not the way you learned Christ. 21, assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as truth as is in Jesus. 22, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The focus of this passage is on the mind and learning Christ and truth that's in Jesus. And the command in verse 22 to put off your old way of thinking. It's your old self. So that self that was alienated from God. You were callous. You were given up to sensuality, things that pleased your senses. You were practicing all kinds of greed and impurity, and your heart was hardened. Your mind was darkened. You are not that anymore. You're not. You've been redeemed. And so you have a new spirit in your mind, and you're to put on that new self. You're not going to keep going and thinking about evil Um, foolish, unworthy thoughts that this world holds out to you. I think the internet, books, songs, movies, TV series, even common surface conversations, you need to in your own mind think, are these helping me to think rightly or are these harming me from thinking rightly? But the main thing is You need to avoid your own evil thinking that springs up from your own heart. That's the bad news. (laughs) That we can put away all the movies and all the CDs. I know that's not even, that's so old. All the digital things. Don't look at the internet. Don't, you know, don't go to the box office and do movies. But really, (laughs) ladies, the main thing is to avoid our own evil thinking that's coming up from our hearts. Matthew 15, 19, you'll know this. The Lord Jesus says this because he knows our hearts. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. What's the first thing that the Lord says comes out of evil hearts? Evil thoughts. So it's a battle we're going to struggle with, right? It's a battle that comes from our own thoughts and our own heart to, to battle against. Flee foolish thoughts. Okay, the fifth characteristic is that self-control is God-taught. 
Self-control is God-taught. God is so gracious in this. We're going to see this two times in our Titus 2 passage. The first time is that the older women are supposed to train the younger women, right, within the local body. That is God's design. He is using women, older godly women, to teach younger godly women how to live in his ways. He has actually said that in his word, so we know that's his design. Um, Heidi already covered it, but that's the first thing after loving your husband and loving your children that God has listed that he wants older women to train the younger women in. This is something that's good. If you're wondering what's good, this is one thing that's very good to train younger women in. And those, that word is so encouraging because it assumes two things. One, we can all learn and grow in this character quality. You can grow in it, right? Training does not mean you're perfected. What does training mean? You need help, right? You're, you're not where you're supposed to be. You haven't arrived. You're not perfect at it. In fact, you're probably far from perfect at it. But you can grow and learn. I think that's so encouraging. That, that was actually the two points I had. I said first, and then the second one was uh, that we've not mastered it. We've, we can grow in it. We have not, um, you know, arrived. We may not have mastered our minds and our priorities, but God has given us a means to learn self-control and sensibility, learning it from older women in our church. How can you put yourself in the way of an older woman? Or what was the other thing that was mentioned? attack. (laughs) Or put yourself in the way. You know what that means, right? When you go up and stand in their way. I don't know if I would be so brutal as to attack some of the older women in our church, but put yourself in their way. How can you do that so that you can learn, among other things, to be self-controlled? You can learn sensible thinking and sound inner thinking. Which woman could you actively pursue learning from in our local body? I think you should consider writing somebody's name down. Practically, how would you do this? Who could you ask? And it's not, you know, you're not asking them to marry you. (laughs) You're just, you're asking for help. You're asking to look to them. You're asking, you're just putting yourself in their way. Get to know them somehow. Okay. The other way we see that self-control is trained by the Lord, he teaches us, is through salvation. And that is in Titus 2.11, so it's just a couple verses down from our instructions to older and younger women. And Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Can you believe that? The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. And in that salvation, he is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. We say, okay, I get that. I'm not supposed to be in the world. But also to live in a way that is self-controlled. He is teaching that to us in salvation to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. There is hope for us. 
The gospel is hope for us. He is going to teach us these things by the time we're in heaven. <laughs> he will. He will. I think that is so encouraging to my soul. Um, I always get ahead of myself. It's the gospel in verse 14. Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. He's not going to leave us lawless. Instead, he purifies for himself a people. That's who we are. And that's who will finally be perfectly made in glory. He made us his own possession, and now we're zealous for good deeds. So positively, we learn to control ourselves to engage in good deeds, and negatively, we learn to control ourselves by fleeing from the lawlessness that he's rescued us from. It's God's great grace that enables us to do this. Ask him to continue to do what he's promised in salvation to do for you. Don't be shy. Call on him. Ask him by prayer and petition to help you with this. You know, James 1, it says to ask for wisdom if you need it. Ask him for wisdom. Anytime you have need of it, he will grant it. He's the one who will make us sensible, self-controlled, discreet, sober-minded by his great power. So God's design and calling for us is to be self-controlled. It's made possible through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus by the Spirit working through us, working in us. <clears throat> so the last point is some practical steps to how we can pursue growing in self-control and training in self-control. First, know God through Christ. Right? This all assumes that you are redeemed that you're regenerate, that God has saved you. That's how self-control comes, through, through, through salvation, through the Spirit. He's the one that gives self-control. So you have to know what his son has done on your behalf. You have to understand that. You have to believe it. Not, not like some of us have mentioned tonight where, you know, we, we heard it, but we really hadn't, our lives hadn't changed. Nothing, you know, nothing was different. You have to know God through Christ. Second, you need to instruct your mind with God's truth. Self-control starts in the mind. The mind must be instructed in truth, in the Lord's truth, and that comes from his word. So pursue correct teaching about God's word. This is how you instruct your mind in God's truth. I loved what Heidi said about, you know, being careful what you listen to on the internet or the radio. Not everything that says Christian is Christian. Don't be fooled. Not everything that says Christian is Christian. Um, protect yourself. Pursue correct teaching about God's Word. These are some ways you might be able to do that. There's some resources out on the back table. They're, for the most part, geared for Titus 2 things, but there's some other broadens a little bit. There's some Jerry Bridges books out there that I think deal with more than some of the Titus 2 issues that we find in this text. Um, there's a whole resource library in the church that we've put out so that you will have good, helpful, healthy resources. Even if it's not an author you know, even if it doesn't have a nice cover and it doesn't look very good, trust the resources that we and the elders have approved those things that we put before you. Trust those and make use of them. I noticed um, a couple of people have mentioned to me, can I take the envelope in the book and pay for the book tomorrow or something like that. Yes, you may. Um, 
plenty of those, there's plenty, there's an envelope in every book out there that are on the resource table. Same thing in the resource library. If you take the resource, just put either your check or cash in the envelope and stick it in the offering plate. Or there's also an offering box by the door uh, of the uh, office just so it gets put to the right place. Um, but yeah, go f- feel free to do that with those books if you don't have any money today because um, we want you to take those and use those and make good use of those either with others or by yourself or encouraging, encouraging each other with that. Um, also, there's a bunch of things that you can listen to. Um, there's, I don't know if you guys saw in your handouts, there, um, there are more things to think about and we put a resource on there that Heidi actually found. We've been talking a lot about Elizabeth Elliot today, and Heidi mentioned she had gone to be with the Lord last week. But her um, her radio program, Gateway to Joy, is actually on this BBN um, app that you can, it's on page six. Um, you can download the app and then listen to her. I mean, you know, it's, this is historic, so even if you've never heard of her before, um, I hope you have. She, she's valuable to listen to. But So her stuff is on there. So there's things that you can listen to. You can listen to sermons. I put a couple in there by John MacArthur that he did on self-discipline that I thought were extremely valuable in kind of broadening your, your mind and your thoughts as we talk about self-control. And also, we're going to try, some ladies are already meeting together in small groups, which is great. We are so encouraged with that. Um, and we want to keep encouraging that, um, and so we're going to try in September to start a couple of more, because um, some of the ones that are already meeting can take a couple of extra, but they can't take a bunch, so we're going to try to start a couple of, couple of other groups. If you're interested in that, um, see Jody or Cindy Hager or Sarah Naylor, um, or myself, or Heidi, see one of us, um, and we'll try to point you in the right direction. The goal is not just to do one more thing, really. It's, it's, we don't want to put one other thing on your calendar, but we do think this is valuable to meet with one another, and we think it's scriptural that we have a text in scripture that says we should be in a, not, not necessarily in a teaching setting, but in a normal life setting, meeting older women with younger women and talking about things that are very specific to women, Titus 2 related things. Um, So hopefully that will be an encouragement um, to some to get involved with those. And um, you can see, I think there's a note too on the front page about kind of what that might look like. So that would be a way to instruct your mind in God's truth specifically about these things. Um, the third thing is, is to believe God's word is true. Believe it. And I know that sounds like I'm just saying that flippantly, like believe God's truth, but this is how you practice self-control. If you believe it, if you read things that are true, you're compelled by them. You know that you're, you're informing your mind about, you're instructing your mind about what's true. You're going to be convinced when you're convinced of something, you have a safe, guarded mind because you know the truth. You're not going to walk away from it. You're not going to be, you know, swayed by evil thoughts or um, outside circumstances. You're going to stick with it. But that's assuming you believe it. And that is a work of the Lord, right? So call on Him when you don't believe and say, Lord, help my unbelief. 
Like what about when you want to be kind to someone who it's very difficult to be kind to, and it looks like this is, I don't, I don't see that this is going to happen <laughs> because this person is so unkind and I don't want to be kind to them and I struggle with it. And that's unbelief, right? We're not believing. It's not, we're not willfully saying, I'm going to name it and claim it, right? It's, I'm not talking about that. I'm not saying you say, I'm going to be kind to that person. But beg God to help you. Beg him to help you believe that he has the power to transform you. When you don't see the answer, when you don't think, in my own self, I can't do this. If God doesn't help me, there's no hope that I can do this. Or what about, I'm sometimes discouraged, will the Lord really change me? (laughs) I struggle with this again and again and again. This is my same prayer request. I keep coming with the same prayer request. Will the Lord really change me? And I need to call out, help my unbelief, Lord. Help me to believe in you that you will do this. This will make us self-controlled women. Okay, last thing. When your mind is believing fully the true teachings from God's word, you will be committed to living out what you believe. And when you're committed to living out what you believe, you live out what you believe. And that is a self-controlled woman, right? She's guided by her thoughts, by her priorities, by what she knows to be true and right. That's when sensibility reigns. That's when discreet living is displayed. And that's when self-control leads everything you do. But I think it's helpful to say, what could I wrap my feet around to start walking and doing. And so I'm going to quote an Elizabeth Elliot quote too. She didn't actually say this. She quotes this, but this is one of, one of the things that she is so well known for. Um, and so I'm, I'm sorry we're all quoting Elizabeth Elliot, but we, we've, obviously she's extremely valued and respected, so I think this is helpful. This poem is called Do the Next Thing. And the truth that we're trying to get from this is do the next thing that's in front of you, right? We, we put on right thinking. We've put on fleeing wrong thinking. And now we're going to do what's in front of us with that thinking in mind. At an old English parsonage down by the sea, there came in the twilight a message to me. It's quaint Saxon legend deeply engraven. That is, as it seemed to me, teaching from heaven. And all through the hours, the quiet words ring, like a low inspiration, do the next thing. Many a questioning, many a fear, many a doubt hath its quieting here. Moment by moment, let down from heaven, time, opportunity, and guidance are given. Fear not tomorrow, child of the king. Trust that with Jesus, and do the next thing. Do it immediately and do it with prayer. Do it reliantly, casting all care. Do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before thee with earnest command. Stayed on omnipotence, safe neath his wing. Leave all resultings, do the next thing. Looking to Jesus, ever serener, Working or suffering be thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm. In the light of his countenance, be thy psalm. Do the next thing. We're going to pray. Lord, I pray you would help our unbelief. 
I pray that you would lead us into all truth as you promised to do when you gave us your spirit. I pray that you would fill our minds with your promises that we could take with us and not be swayed by any worldly things that we hear or see. And especially, Lord, that you would guard us from our own hearts that struggle against truth. And we pray instead that your spirit would continue to guard us and guide us and that you would help us, Lord, to do what's in front of us, to trust you with the results, to look to you moment by moment and seek your word in the day and in the night, and that we would keep working and making efforts to the things that you've called us to because we're convinced of what your word says. We have our to-do list in front of us from your truth, and we're not going to be swayed away from it. Grant us your grace. We know you've started it in our salvation, and you're not going to leave us alone. You're not going to leave us be. You will never leave us or forsake us. And I pray we would believe in you and trust in you, even when it's challenging. Would you grant us that great faith and help our unbelief, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.